Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who love to read. Readers who love to write. And anyone who loves words. words. Today we thought it would be fun to talk about fairy tales and folk tales. And um, last week's episode we talked a bit about myths. And we actually recorded that one a while ago. So yep. <laughs> it's um, a little bit of a refresher for us. But when we talked about myths, we kind of talked about myths being these um, stories that stand the test of time, but also kind of these stories that help us understand the unexplainable, the things like creation and destruction and nature and kind of the mysterious sides of life, the gods, that sort of thing, the spiritual, even how we as humans relate to that, those things, and what our place is in that broader spectrum. <laughs> um, but today we want to talk a little more about kind of the folklore and folk tales and fairy tales and those things that are a little more focused on people and the choices that people yes. make and the ways that those choices affect each other. Um, at least that's kind of how Laura and I have been um, the framework that I think we're both thinking of fairy tales from as being Absolutely. a little more about people and and human beings and <laughs> ways that we mess up, the ways that we work past those things, the, the kind of raw luck that we might stumble into or, Absolutely. Um, or misfortune that we might stumble into. Like I think a lot of fairy tales have to do with those things. They do. And, and so many of the fairy tales and, you know, we, you know, from a definition standpoint, everyone defines it differently. And I like the way we're defining it just so that it's kind of open and with fairy tales in general though most of them require stepping out and getting into a place that's uncomfortable going leaving your comfort space usually home and having to do something step into the unknown even like little red riding hood she's leaving her mom's house and that's when the tale begins is like stepping into that space and I think every human can relate to that. In many ways, I think that's why a lot of these tales do stand that test of, of time that they're told over and over again because yeah. you can give them different significance in each telling. I think that's a good point, like the relating. Like I, I think of, um, it makes me think of Women Who Run With Wolves. Like a lot of her premise as she kind of dissects and analyzes different fairy tales and folk tales is this idea that these are the stories of our inner psyche, of our mm -hmm. um, subconscious. Like they're the, they're the stories, yeah. the archetypes of like what humans are and what they can be and the, the, the battles that we wrestle within ourselves even. Absolutely. Well, and you think about the characters in, in fairy tales because they are often more stock Oh, they're characters. super stock. Yeah. They're one-dimensional right. across the board, almost always. Exactly, which yeah. is actually probably one of the reasons why they also stand the test of time is you can yes. give all of the, you know, whatever, you imbue it yeah. with whatever you need to imbue it as you experience it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, since most of these come from that folk tradition of oral traditions, they would take on different meetings with who was telling them with what village sure. they were in. And that's kind of incredible incredible mm -hmm. but with those stock characters you have the wolves you have the hero you have the villain and we all actually can imbue i mean we all have elements of that within yeah. ourselves where we're in this situation we're not acting in a certain way or we realize that we've not you know reached that ideal of what we should be doing and 
I think it helps us to kind of, even in a safe space, play with that. Yeah. And I mean, I think when you can simplify a story like that, so there's simple characters, simple things happening, like then each time you come to it, it can mean something different for you in in a way. Like you can add that complexity in your own head and heart and mind and, you know, like um, for what you need in that moment. And there may be one, sometimes when you're like, oh, I'm really relating to this character another time (laughs) or you're really relating to another one. Absolutely. And I think over time, even like from a maturity standpoint, you look back on certain elements of, again, Little Red Riding Hood. There's a lot there. And depending on what perspective you're taking on it, you can start relating to certain characters within the story. You can see yourself as Little Red. You can see yourself as the wolf. You can see yourself as Granny. You can Mm -hmm. see yourself as you know, the woodcutter, if that person's in the story. And then you can almost like take that story and reinvent it because the story itself has been reinvented. And you can say, well, you know, in some stories, the grandmother saves the day. In some stories, it's actually Little Red who saves the day. In some stories, you know, it is the woodcutter who kind of comes in at the last minute. And I think that's so, it does allow you to, be those different people and then to think about okay but what would they have done like and what would I have done Mm -hmm. and playing in that sandbox of what if and also to there are a lot of dark elements in fairy tales it's almost that shadow selves and I think it explores some of those dark things in a relatively safe space it's not confronting it gives a lot of talking about something from arm's length rather than having it in your face and lots of people say that little red riding hood could be a metaphor for rape there is some versions of it that give some additional context to it that could get lead that to that meaning that doesn't mean that it's ultimately what it means but knowing that there's some areas where you can take something and it can mean something else, you know, Tangled and Rapunzel just in general could be, you know, being in an abusive parental situation. Like all of those can really help grapple with some of the things that we can't actually bring out into the light often that we can't directly look at. And that I think from a story standpoint, is powerful. Having narratives that help us unpack those things that are traumatizing, that are really difficult to look in the face, that often we have to grapple with from outside and indirect ways. Again, I think that's one of the reasons why these stories do hang on for so long, because they can be used in so many different ways. Yeah, they can be recontextualized in all kinds of different settings and and for all kinds of different purposes, which makes them awesome, awesome tools for writers. Absolutely. (laughs) They're like these blueprints that are just sort of open and sketchy, you know, like they're bones that you can put whatever flesh on it you want to put on it, um, which is awesome. (laughs) It is. And I think it's awesome both for the writers and the readers because there's certain tales that I'm like, I am always up for like a Beauty and the Beast retelling or, you know, Often I'm interested in a Cinderella retelling and see what unique ways they take it. I think as a reader, it gives you an entry point. Sometimes it's hard to 
it takes extra work to kind of envelop yourself in a completely original you know work of World fiction story, it, yeah. it does cool. like it's just you feel that kind of vertigo of stepping into it and having something that is a little bit familiar but new yeah yeah like that's just really it's almost like comfort food <laughs> yeah. but but it's like new enough that it keeps that interest yes I think kind of seeing the the dual nature of that that as as writers it's almost like having a tried and true prompt put in your lap yeah that that you know actually functionally is intriguing because it's hung around for so long right but then that you can play with and completely subvert you know set it in something crazy like we've talked about cinder um, before you know you ask the what if of what if we make cinderella a cyborg and what (laughs) if there's you know people on the moon and it's just there's no wrong I think there's no wrong questions to be able to ask and if it's done well I think there's no end in which we will see retellings in literature in film in uh I I was doing some research and I guess there's I mean I've seen um an anime that was done on the little mermaid it's called Ponyo Uh it's really it's sweet my kids love it and it's funny how like I wouldn't have necessarily put two and two together that it was a retelling of the little mermaid Mm -hmm. but then when I saw it I'm like oh yeah that makes sense I think being able to play with that you were only limited by our imagination when it's fairy tale and folktale and even when we look at you know there's the Brothers Grimm versions, but those were so taken from all oral different tradition. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's why there are so many versions of it is right. they just wrote down their version, which yeah. of course they have their own bent to it. It probably reflects a lot of things about them and their society. Um, then other versions kind of take it in different directions. And I love that no matter how we decide to interpret it, no matter what direction we can go in it's still fresh enough because it doesn't give too much like the original tellings are those stripped down tales yeah they're so sparse but also in being sparse they're also very steeped in emotion and Mm -hmm. experience and they're kind of you know in their violence they're very raw you like you resonate with the feelings of it yeah they're sparse without like losing that nugget of like or like that thing that makes it stand the test of time like weight or depth or something yeah it's literally like that boiled down concentrated narrative yeah that's exactly like it has all of its potency yeah and then when you throw the things on it it just adds to it I think whenever I start feeling like writer's block or when I start feeling like when I finish one project and I'm like, oh, what am I going to do next? Like, I need to come up with an idea now. (laughs) I'm finding lately like that I have no excuse because there are so many like (laughs) there are so many potential options out there and you can take any of those stories and mash them together and mix them up and throw them in a different setting. Like there's so much to work with. Um, but you never have to start from ground zero. Like, I think it can feel overwhelming when you just stare at a blank page and you're like, where do I start? But the truth is you never actually have to start with a blank page. We have all these building blocks, these things that we can pull from these resources that have been around for 
forever, <laughs> you know, or absolutely not forever, but at least, you know, like for a long time, we had, you know, and who knows how long these oral traditions go back before they're yeah. written. Um, I, and we can use them like we can and we should. <laughs> we shouldn't. Shy. I feel like sometimes there's this hesitation like, well, I should come up with something original. I should do something new. But I say like, just <laughs> use what's there, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting because I'm actually working on a lecture on creativity for my dad's yeah. junior high class. And David Eggleman, who I'm using as kind of part of the basis for that lecture, has a book on creativity and how we create is literally by taking what's there, breaking it apart, breaking it down into pieces, redoing it, twisting something that's already there, mashing things together. That is how we do create. And there's not really, you know, we talk about there's no original stories or ideas because of that, because we're constantly taking and mashing things together. And I think it's freeing to realize, as you said, like, that's what we do as creatives. That's what everyone has done. Like, we could go back, you know, to really many things and say, oh, that's influenced by this and that's influenced by that. And we might not be able to see every influence because some of it's taken directly from their lives. But that's how we create is taking what's around us kind of getting the little compost heap yeah, and then it becomes something like you grab what you want out of it and maybe compost heap is not the best choice. <laughs> like, I was thinking like therefore. a recipe, you know, like yeah, pull the ingredients out and then like, yeah, it leaves it like has nutrition and stew yep. a little bit and like you have exactly. to kind of let them sit before they're ready to grow. But probably the cooking metaphor is a little better. <laughs> but still, like, it is those different flavors. All of those things seen only as you can see them. Yeah. Interpreted and written down only as you can write them. That's exactly how we create. And I love what you said there is that we are, we are without excuse. Like, we, <laughs> even if we don't know exactly what we want to go after, like, we can be refilling that tank we can be reading things that give us ideas that spark the next thing Mm -hmm. and and I think that's one of those things where I love tracking down different versions of these stories yeah because then you can see what's possible for sure well and so Einstein has a quote basically out there that if you if you want your kids to be smart have them read fairy tales and I'm of course not saying it word for word and one of the major reasons why is it engages the imagination on such a profound level that as you read it, your imagination takes over. It gives life. It breathes life into those characters. Since you don't have a lot of description, you don't have a lot of setting, you know, you get that it's in this forest or that it's on a path or that it's in this castle, but you create the castle. You create the forest. It looks differently to you than it does to anyone else and I think we don't often remember that there's a lot of benefit in engaging our readers imagination in not feeding them everything yeah when I read that quote one that it was from Einstein I found kind of interesting and two just the reminder of it is good to hold some things back like some things require the description. Some things require the setting, but there's some things that you do want to be more 
on the side of holding back and just kind of paying attention to where you can do both of those things. Yeah. I think fairy tales also get us asking that what if question without boundaries because so often yes. they are kind of out there and crazy and like yes. some random thing will happen or oh this animal's talking now or this person suddenly has magic or oh you open up this blanket and it just provides food for you or you know like <laughs> but it's true yeah but I think that that also kind of gets us thinking outside of these bounds of what we typically hold as possible and it gets us thinking of okay well what else could be possible and what if this other thing was possible that we never even thought of before or that we don't see normally or that kind of thing which gets your imagination going also in this kind of different way I love that and I, I think as a practice doing that as creatives is yeah you know, really that that what if that you know, writing down 10 things, I think we talked yeah, about this in the Pixar episode, 10 things that could happen. And then the first four gets the boring right. and the trite out of the way. And then you get to the really juicy stuff. That's like, right. <laughs> just, you know, a, no bad idea. And often you find little nuggets in there of like, oh, that was what, <laughs> what yeah. could... And I think as we create, not putting those boundaries on on ourselves not being like well this is what has to happen or this is you know how i envisioned it but sometimes like releasing yourself even from your own vision yeah. to let it more organically unfold which might be inconvenient if you've already <laughs> plotted it out but sometimes it's nice to just follow the story as it unfolds to you yeah yay well <laughs> Clearly, we're a fan of fairy tales and folk tales, and we highly recommend um, just picking some up and reading them and seeing what different versions you can find or playing with those ones that are maybe a little less familiar. Like, you know, we all kind of know the standards of Little Red Riding Hood and Cinderella and Beauty and the Beast, but there are so many, so many folk tales and fairy tales out there that you can there pull from, from, and they're incredible building blocks. So we encourage you to use them, to not be afraid of of yes. retelling them and to build on top of them what you want in your own unique way and your own unique vision and to get creative and playful with that because um, we want to read more stories. <laughs> Absolutely. We're here for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. We would love to hear what your favorite fairy tale is if you want to share it with us. And um, yeah, keep reading, keep writing, keep putting your work out there. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a comment or a review. We would appreciate it. Thank you.